that the question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. Welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and that's CJSF.ca, and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. Today on the show, we're hearing from local author, comedian, and activist Charlie Demers. In his recent book, Vancouver Special, Charlie provides a hilarious and a very honest approach to talking about the city. His deep knowledge of the city and its culture mixed with his witty humor, makes for enjoyable listening. Charlie Demers on the show today. You're tuned into The City, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. Stay with us. And in 2000, 2011, to mark Vancouver's 125th anniversary, the Simon Fraser University Department of History hosted a lecture series, Think You Know Vancouver? Think Again. On January 27th, 2011, local authors Matt Hearn and Charlie Demers gave short talks to address the question, Vancouver, the best place on earth? And in turn, provided a critical take on Vancouver, its history, or perceived lack of history, um, and I would say uh, questioning the idea of 125 years and celebrating that as Vancouver's anniversary, um, but also talking, uh, Matt Hearn and Charlie Demers, talking about why we need to think about Vancouver uh, with a bit more honesty. We have the privilege to broadcast uh, these talks uh, from SFU's history department from 2011, and we'll be hearing from Charlie Demers in the first half of his talk today. Uh, We'll be broadcasting the second half uh, featuring Matt Hearn, a local author um, and uh, and, uh, involved in a number of different things. Uh, Matt Hearn, quite an interesting guy here in Vancouver, um, and that will be broadcast at a later date. so with that, uh, Charlie Demers is an author, comedian, local activist, and a regular performer on CBC's The Debaters. Thank you to SFU History Department, again, for permission to, to broadcast uh, these podcasts, and uh, we'll probably broadcast them uh, throughout the, the next year or so. Again, a number of them are quite relevant to the programming here on the city, so certainly a real pleasure um, and a real privilege uh, to have permission to broadcast those from history, the history department at SFU. 
This is The City, and right now we've got Charlie Demiris coming up. You're going to hear a brief introduction uh, from the SFU Department of History, uh, talking about their upcoming lectures, uh, which unfortunately uh, were back in 2011, um, but have no fear. Uh, you can catch those here um, periodically on The City um, as we uh, rebroadcast some of those. And at a minimum, we're going to be hearing uh, the second half uh, featuring Matt Hearn, um, part of this discussion and talk Think you, know, oh, think you know Vancouver, think again, and specifically Vancouver, the best place on earth. Here's the introduction. Welcome to this extraordinary venue. Um, my name is Karen Ferguson, and on behalf of the History Department at Simon Fraser University, I'd like to welcome you to the inaugural presentation in the History Department's year-long speakers series, You Think You Know Vancouver, Think Again. Um, before I introduce tonight's speakers, I just have a couple of thank yous and announcements that I'd like to make. Um, the first thank you I'd like to make is for, to the Urban Studies Program here at SFU, which is co-sponsoring this event. Um, second, I'd like to invite you to the other, uh, other talks that we've scheduled over the next year in celebration of Vancouver's 125th anniversary. Uh, next up on February 20th. 24th is uh, my colleague Ilya Vinkovetsky, whose talk is entitled, I Can See Russia from My House, Russian Colonization on the Northwest Coast. Um, the schedule for the rest of the talks is on this flyer that I think all of you have, and it's also available on the, um, the uh, uh, History Department website. Third, um, and actually, Charlie, could you hand me those books there for a second? Thanks. Um, if you're tantalized by what you hear tonight, um, both Charlie and Matt are going to be selling their books after the talk, and I uh, uh, and also probably signing some as well. So if you uh, want to buy them, they're available. And uh, last but not least, I'd like to thank Julie Sloan, uh, the uh, the History Department's communications and recruitment officer, for for playing an instrumental role in conceiving this series, and uh, uh, and particularly for organizing tonight's events um, and doing a great job at the publicity and then dealing with the overwhelming response. Thanks to that publicity. So on to tonight, uh, tonight's event. Um, we're delighted to have such a big crowd out tonight, and uh, while Julie and I would love to take the credit for it, we know that the real draw is our speakers uh, tonight, our well-known, dynamic, and celebrated speakers, uh, Matt Hearn and uh, Charlie Demers. Uh, we in the history department were really over the moon when they generously agreed to uh, kick off our series, so thank you very much to both of you. Well, many of you may have joined us tonight uh, because you know of Charlie from CBC Radio's The Debaters or for the comedy stages of the city or because of what, have, what you know about Matt's uh, work with uh, the Car Free Vancouver Day. Uh, we've invited them tonight because of the wonderful books that both of them have recently published on Vancouver. Uh, Common Ground in a Liquid City and Vancouver Special established both of their authors as uh, public intellectuals in the very best sense of the word. word. Um, sophisticated, critical, deeply steeped in the city's history, 
both books, Accessibility and Humor, as well as their authors' high profile off the page mean that the, that these books and their authors are playing a vital role in in reshaping the public dialogue in in our city about our city, and um, their work is really getting us closer to what Matt calls an honest narrative about Vancouver and its history, and I think one that he both he and Charlie would agree is essential to uh, shaping a vibrant, sustainable, and progressive future for our city. So please join me in welcoming uh, Matt Hearn and Charlie Demers as they ponder the question, Vancouver, best place on earth? Great, thanks. Uh, thanks, folks. Thanks a lot for coming out. Um, I, I have a, an initial technical question. If I'm using this, what have I got this wireless mic for? I don't know. Oh. James? <laughs> Do I turn them both on? Well, we'll just work with it so far, see how it goes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I did want uh, to say uh, thank you very much, Karen and Julie and everybody else who put this on. So uh, thanks very much and for your, uh, for your kind words. Um, your um, words that are kind of intimidating, actually, starting off with tantalizing. I don't even know what to do with that now. I, I was joking that, that I did have a wardrobe malfunction thing planned with Charlie, but now I don't even think I can do that. I'm too nervous about it. Um, um, uh, but uh, let me open just briefly by saying, um, uh, you know, thanking you all for coming out tonight, and, and thank you for uh, acknowledging with us that uh, that we're doing this talk on uh, unceded Coast Salish territory. Um, and the, if, if I had one hope for our 125th year anniversary, that it uh, it might be that over the course of the year that we collectively could take sincerely our colonialist heritage and that could think about addressing and redressing that. So that reality is going to kind of underlie what both uh, Charlie and I are going to talk about tonight. Um, uh, and our plan for tonight is... is uh, uh, it's pretty simple. So uh, uh, Charles is going to speak here for about 20 minutes, uh, and then I'm going to do the same. Uh, and then I'm going to ask uh, Charlie one unscripted question, and then he is going to reciprocate with uh, an equally unscripted question, which may well be just totally awkward, but we're going to see how it goes, <laughs> um, uh, forcing us to pay attention to each other's talk in a legitimate way. Um, so uh, without further ado, oh, and then after that, after we finish our questions, we're going to uh, open the floor to you guys for your uh, your comments and questions and, uh, and critiques. So uh, without further ado, tough uh, guy, you on? That's it. Uh, Charlie Demers, folks. Thanks very much. Um, I told uh, the SFU History Department that I would only give this talk if uh, they could find me the most intimate possible room uh, at SFU in which to give it. So I... Uh, I'm here today to address this blockade against Cuba. Um, I, uh, and thank you very much uh, to both uh, Matt and, and Karen for uh, their very warm introductions. Introductions at events like this are actually um, a bit more important than maybe you initially think um, before you get an awkward one. Uh, I gave a talk a couple of months ago at the Vancouver Historical Society and... Uh, the very sweet man who got up to introduce me he said, you know, well, Char Charlie's written a book about Vancouver special houses, and, uh, you know, they're really, they're neat little houses, and, 
Well, I remember when I was a teenager, my girlfriend's family had one, and we had a lot of wonderful memories in that house. So here's Charlie Demers, and uh, wasn't at all the topic of the. I think I mentioned maybe once in the book that I was the first house where I lived was a, a Vancouver special on Caslow Street in East Vancouver. Otherwise, the book is not at all about uh, Vancouver specials. Um, it's just kind of a, a easy title. And uh, so luckily, and as several of my uh, former SFU history teachers who are here tonight, Karen included, can attest, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm really good at, at bullshitting. And so I managed to turn his Vancouver special introduction into something closer to what I was going to talk about. And, and that was by sort of thinking of Vancouver specials and, and these houses and, and their uh, sort of idiosyncratic histories as being a fairly good working metaphor for some of the major uh, trends and, 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 and things that are happening uh, to Vancouver right now as a city. Namely, this kind of break with what had generally been seen as kind of a garish, slightly embarrassing uh, working class immigrant uh, history and space uh, in favor of sort of real estate buzzwords and, and speculation and, and development of the city. Um, I have a Google alert on the phrase Vancouver special. Just I started when I, when I when the book came out so that I would know when reviews were going up or if blogs were talking about the, the book or whatever. And, but I also, that means I get a note any time the phrase is used on the internet. And Vancouver special, you know, 90% of what I get uh, is our, our real estate um, ads, where now, to use the term Vancouver special, uh, is, it no longer has the stigma that it once had. And in fact, uh, it's sort of seen as being, hey, this is a, these are great bones for a house that you can make into something beautiful. Um, last year, there was a story that went through, uh, you know, the Vancouver media about this uh, company that was redesigning Vancouver specials uh, in particular into uh, design objects, desirable, beautiful, uh, you know, in, in the sort of classed and, and, and uh, contextual uh, um, ideas about beauty and design. Uh, and, and they were offering tours. You could go through sort of up by uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth Park, some of these Vancouver specials that had been turned into these, you know, yuppie pleasure palaces. And uh, I just thought, you know, there was what a sort of sad um, but perfect uh, metaphor for, for what was happening uh, to the city at large. And, and what that involves is, is kind of a, a, a drastic alienation from or estrangement from the city's history and the city's past. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about uh, tonight. Uh, for many, and, and I want to salute the, the SFU History Department, uh, my alma mater, uh, for uh, doing th this series on history in Vancouver. I think it's incredibly important, and, and the, uh, the topics are, are fascinating. Although for many, an the idea of a series on history in Vancouver is like a series on uh, child-rearing techniques from Vatican City or uh, you know, great moments in British lovemaking. Um, it runs contrary to the whole idea of what, of what we've been given about this place. In fact, uh, even one of the key selling points about it, um, which is that it's a place that's unburdened by history. Um, in City of Glass, uh, 
Douglas Copeland cites the, this lack of history as one of the key features of Vancouver, and not in a negative way, in, in a sort of liberating way, uh, related to his comments often made elsewhere uh, to the effect that Vancouver is an exciting place to be because it's becoming the city that it, it will be. Uh, it isn't al- already that city in, in the way that sort of New York or Paris or Toronto or whatever, these cities sort of have a more established identity. The claims that Vancouver is a city unburdened by history as well as lacking in in a defined civic identity are related. Um, In fact, you could say that civic identity is basically another means of saying that uh, in assessing a city's present, history, its history matters as much as its geography in the sense of physical features. Um, cities that know who they are are generally cities where history is at everybody's fingertips. So, for instance, we know that Montreal has a civic identity because every fluff piece about Schwartz's on the main is pregnant with meaning about the history of anti-Semitism and uh, relations between Montreal's English speakers and French speakers and immigrants. You even make a historical political decision by calling it the main instead of uh, Boulevard Saint-Laurent. Um, the, uh, basically, uh, that's what people mean when they say that Vancouver has no history. They don't mean that nothing has happened here. They just mean nothing that's relevant to what's going on today. The idea is that none of the same people or groups are around, and the city is effectively a blank slate. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun, but we hardly get any sun here, so everything's new. Uh, in this view, there was a traumatic total break with the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh pasts, and then it was a sleepy, boring town with just white people, and then Expo happened, and then the city got started. Um, so in many ways, people sort of think of this as, a, as not a 125-year-old city, they think of it as, as a 25-year-old city. Um, and also, I don't know how to say the thing, the quasi- whatever centennial, so I always just say quachi centennial, uh, so that... We can capitalize on some of that Olympics branding that we worked so hard on. Um, Basically, I want to look tonight at Vancouver's historical character, um, its characteristics as a city, and to present a slightly contrarian and perhaps even slightly exaggerated, but only slightly, uh, case that Vancouver's freedom from history and lack of a set identity are fictitious, or at least uh, greatly exaggerated. Furthermore, that while this weightlessness is generally presented as a form of liberty, the freedom to be whatever city we want to be, to renew that vision of what kind of city we want to be on essentially a daily or weekly or hourly basis, um, that this freedom is, um, is usually reduced like many of late capitalism's much-vaunted personal freedoms to turning us into a neoliberal guinea pig. In this sense, the, the city becomes the uh, municipal version of the ideal neoliberal citizen with no uh, past or history weighing it down. Um, in other words, not everyone peddling the no history, no identity line is doing it in good faith, as I think Copeland is, uh, or from his sense of creative possibility. Instead, freedom to be whatever city we want to be in real terms almost always means the freedom to displace people, uh, build skyscrapers, and uh, develop a resort town. This is an older city than we tend to give it credit for. Uh, And that's partly because the break with the Coast Salish past, though undeniably traumatic, um, wasn't as total as we think. Uh, So when city historian Bruce MacDonald 
places. For instance, Chief Dan George's work on, as a longshoreman in the 1920s on the Burrard Inlet in the context of his ancestors' similar work on the same inlet for generations he highlights the pores that exist between the two histories, the Salish history before the Vancouver history that comes after. And when Rolf Knight talks about the bows and arrows local of the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World, uh, the anarchist uh, uh, syndicalist uh, organization formed by mostly native dock workers uh, on the Burrard Inlet, but with also uh, union leadership from, uh, or leadership such as it existed in the IWW um, from Britain and, and the Caribbean. That's part of Salish history, as well as being part of Vancouver's labor history and a history of anarchist organizing that continues in the city right up to the Olympics. Furthermore, Dan George's relationship with Hollywood is also a part of Vancouver's long history with, with the silver screen and with, with Hollywood. Over the course of my research for Vancouver Special, um, it became clear to me that Vancouver worked uh, very often in echoes of itself. In researching uh, episodes from the city's past, I continuously saw parallels with um, events later on. Uh, so, for instance, uh, in the free speech fight leading up to the Olympics, there was a lot of talk about what power city council had to limit uh, freedom of expression in, in Vancouver around the time of the Olympics. And the fight back against it was almost all, uh, you know, sort of in the streets, people creating artwork, uh, actively challenging copyright stuff, uh, free speech stuff, putting up signs. Um, this is, this is a real uh, echo of what happened in 1912 uh, with, the again, the IWW and their free speech fights in Vancouver, mostly centered around Oppenheimer Park, um, which was basically an episode where the city council, in an attempt to deal with this radical labor organization, uh, tried to bar and ban free speech in the city, was arresting uh, people for making public speeches, and rather than accepting the edict, the IWW and its supporters... Uh, basically tried to flood the jail cells of, of the city. Said, if, okay, if you're going to arrest us, then you're going to have to arrest everybody. It was a real kind of I'm, I'm Spartacus uh, moment and, and involved real creative resistance um, to the extent of people rowing out in boats uh, into you know, the Burrard Inlet and making speeches uh, through megaphones into, into the city and, and challenging the police to come out onto the water and arrest them. Uh, the... Komogata Maru obviously has shameful, uh, shamefully familiar uh, uh, elements uh, when we compare it to what's happening right now with the Tamils who are still being held um, in jails. And actually, this, this story kind of took an extra gross turn as uh, Canada last week immediately threw open the doors to the uh, escaping Tunisian uh, ruling family. Uh, so I said, yeah, come chill out in Montreal. Um, while these Tunisians are literally still, uh, sorry, uh, Tamils are still sitting in cells in, in Burnaby. Um, but there were also smaller, uh, less immediately recognizable uh, echoes. So, for instance, um, we, we're used to Vancouver's labor movement as being divided along the lines of a sort of social unionism and, and unions uh, sort of take, making decisions based on what they view as sort of the common good or, or based on sort of political grounds uh, versus sort of bread and butter unionism that kind of says, look, whatever project is going through, as long as there's union folks working on it, uh, then we're in favor of it because it gives, means jobs uh, for our members. 
Um, we saw this debate happen around the Olympics. We saw this debate happen uh, particularly around the Canada line. But we also saw this debate happen in Vancouver uh, in, at the turn of the last century around the issue of Dead Man's Island, uh, the small island right off Stanley Park, and whether or not it should be clear-cut, um, which some woodworking unions said, yeah, no, this is great. We'll get jobs out of it. Versus other ones saying, no, uh, we need to guard public space in the city. We need to, you know, so, you know this basic social approach to nature. Um, it was a very similar debate. Even more similar was the sort of crusading of Constable Malcolm McLennan, uh, a, a police officer around the turn of the last century again, who in, in those days was talking about the need to approach uh, drug addiction as a medical issue uh, rather than a criminal issue, um, to stop locking up addicts and start treating them medically. Uh, this is a conversation that's been happening in this city from before World War I. Um, but of course it seems new to everybody because the roots don't show and, and we sort of think of everything that happens in Vancouver as pretty new. Um, and then there's just fun stuff like I thought the kind of the Errol, Errol Flynn kind of seediness was kind of a little bit like when Ben Affleck went to Brandy's. Uh, so there's, there's all these, these, these little bits and pieces. And, it, and as I was doing the research and, and approaching the city and thinking about the city, it was clear to me that um, there had been much less of a sort of definitive break around Expo or whenever you place it uh, with the past than, than you know, we're normally led to believe. And it matters. It matters in a political, in a political way, and, and, and it's directly relevant to people's lives. And this neighborhood that, that we're in right now and, and, and right next to is, is one of the prime examples of this. And, and uh, so I'll give you a, a, a quick example from, um, from Vancouver's history. This was basically taken from the um, Past Tense Vancouver blog, which you should definitely check out. It's a really fantastic blog about Vancouver's history, Past Tense Vancouver. It's done by Lanny Russworm, another SFU history student. And uh, Russworm, a, a few years ago, posted some comments that uh, then-NPA mayoral hopeful Peter Ladner had made um, around the downtown east side, uh, coming out of the exhibition of uh, Fred Herzog's photos of older Vancouver uh, at the Vancouver Art Gallery. And particularly, Peter Ladner had singled out um, this photo of a, a group of men standing at Hastings and Carroll, and, you know, it's those bright, beautiful Herzog photos that kind of make it look like it never rains in Vancouver. And uh, it's really vital and vibrant, and the sidewalks are all full. And um, Peter Ladner said, you know, this, we need to reclaim this neighborhood. We, we need to get back to, you know, before the drugs and, and, and before the addiction and before the crime and before the blight. And uh, Russworm on the blog just put in the caption to the photo, you know, and totally reasonably put that at the time Herzog's photo was taken, Hastings and Carroll was the epicenter of the biggest drug market in Canada. This na that neighborhood has never not been a vice district. And then, in fact, the gassy jack sort of gas town uh, that we know of starts when some saloon keepers from New Westminster come into what is now the downtown east side or Gastown or whatever you want to call it uh, and set up 
services, vice services, uh, for the man who worked at the Hastings Mill. Um, if you take the Sins of the City tour that uh, Chris Matheson and the, uh, the Police Museum offer, which is a fantastic tour, I highly recommend it, uh, they'll tell you that there were parties so loud uh, in what became Gastown that there were noise complaints from the North Shore. Um, this has always been a vice district. It had always been a working class area where people could come, blow off steam, uh, get drunk, buy sex, um, uh, uh, do drugs. That has always been in the DNA of this neighborhood. And as what Russell points out is that what the visual blight that Ladner's complaining about isn't necessarily something new. It's something that's been transformed by social housing, uh, changes in social housing and the rate of, of, of housing construction by the federal government and the B.C. government, and also by changes in policing and the fact that a lot of the drug trade was driven out from indoors into the street and that the open-air drug trade is something that was created you know, by policy. And whatever you think of that policy and whatever you think of the results, what's, what's not happening is something brand new. Or, or what certainly didn't happen was an army of junkies coming into this placid, pleasant, middle-class neighborhood and ripping it from, you know, your daughter's hands and she drops her teddy bear and cries. It, it never happened like that. Um, and then, in fact, the first anti-drug laws in the country uh, come from this neighborhood or from Chinatown uh, when the liberals uh, basically came, uh, the federal liberals, came to Vancouver, were arranging to compensate those Chinese business orders and Japanese business orders who had had their businesses destroyed, and said, well, we're not going to pay to rebuild opium dens, and so retroactively made drugs illegal. Um, these, these are issues that this neighborhood has, has always dealt with. They're not new. Um, so I want to make the case that Vancouver has always been at least since its first years as a city, and sometimes going back even predating contact um, between Europeans and, and uh, in the cities, the region's indigenous inhabitants, it's always been at least a few things that I would argue add up to more of a civic identity than we normally give ourselves credit for having. So one is that Vancouver has always been a multicultural port city. And that's one of those things that's true going back to before any non-Salish people arrive. Um, we weren't the first people to realize you could bring in goods through uh, the Burrard Inlet. That was pretty obvious um, to anyone who was here. And the area was inhabited by three, uh, what are today, three distinct uh, native bands. Uh, it was the Musqueam, Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh. And not in the sense of like the Musqueam are down uh, by the golf course and the Squamish are, are up at False Creek, but literally to the extent of like the Musqueam are, are here in, in winter and then the Squamish are there at the same place in summer. Um, this, this was a multicultural area. And in fact, the first mixed race child uh, ever born in Vancouver, uh, Elizabeth um, Sylvie, Portuguese Joe Sylvie's uh, daughter, herself came from a mixed Squamish Musqueam background. So she, even before Portuguese Sylvie comes into the mix, she has you know, two sets of grandparents who speak differently and, and have uh, different traditions. Uh, Vancouver has always possessed a very strongly polarized politics uh, municipally. 
um, with a strong dose of populism on both the left and right. And the only major changes in civic government usually result from temporary fallings out between the liberals and conservatives who otherwise work together to keep out the sort of harder socialist left. This is true in the city going back to the time of L.D. Taylor. Um, We've been a city characterized by vice, including drugs, sex, booze, organized crime, as well as addiction and its attendant social debates. Um, Vancouver has been a mostly anti-war uh, city with a strong anti-war tradition going back not only sort of over the last 40 years, which we tend to be fairly well-versed in in terms of Greenpeace and the Georgia Strait and, and the nuclear-free zone and the massive uh, you know, peace demonstrations through the 80s and, and in the lead-up to the war in Iraq, uh, but also going back to the first general strike in Canadian history uh, happening in Vancouver, not around a bread-and-butter wage and benefits issue, but around a political issue, the murder of Ginger Goodwin um, for refusing to fight in the First World War. Uh, we've been an ecologically-minded city uh, in a very paradoxical way, in the sense that we have been both uh, purveyors of a sort of mystical relationship with nature and kind of a, a, a sanctity of nature, while at the same time always having thriving uh, capital concerns based on the exploitation of labor uh, of, of nature, either forestry, mining, fishing. So those two things, that has always been a dialectic that's been a part of Vancouver's identity. Uh, we've been artistically peripheral and, and therefore sort of more experimental. Um, and uh, finally, we've been cursed with a, a structural and police racism towards natives um, and a general cultural racism, uh, cultural racism uh, to East and South Asians, that those have been these sort of primary uh, manifestations of racial prejudice in, in the city. Uh, the, if, I don't have time to really get into it, but uh, we can talk about it uh, afterwards um, in the question period, but uh, basically the... the uh, absolutely critical in the formation of law enforcement uh, agencies and the first jailhouse being built in Vancouver. All of that has to do with uh, troubles with the native population. So things like Frank Paul or things like uh, you know the, the missing women, that all takes place in a historical context. And, and I was seven years old before the Vancouver Police Department hired its first native police officer. Um, and, of course, the general cultural racism towards East and South Asians, which is a really interesting um, part of our history that, uh, you know, has sort of morphed in, in places over time but has really stayed almost the same. Almost all of the same racist things are said about East and South Asians as were said 100 years ago, but the core at the center of the paranoia has inverted completely. So that 100 years ago, it was that, you know, the Chinese are so poor and they'll work for nothing, and so how can an honest white man compete for a job? And within 100 years, almost all of the ancillary qualities of that racism, all the prejudices, prejudices stay almost exactly the same, but the core of it is inverted completely to be, you know, these Chinese have so much damn money, how can, uh, you know, a decent white man uh, compete to buy a house? Um, so we have all of these things in our history that are both huge problems, as, obviously, uh, as well as, 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 as huge um, Hugely wonderful things about the city and, and, and things that could be a real boon moving forward. Um, but whatever the case, whether for the good or the bad, I think it is time that we started having conversations about Vancouver in a more open and honest and, and, 
accurate historical context. And uh, that's why I'm really happy to be here uh, talking tonight. So thanks very much, and I'll uh, hand things over to my friend Matt. about bikes. Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? Even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one -on -one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished guaranteed used bicycle, or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building. Just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers, or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen, and then get riding.
Most countless empty days Made me dizzy when I woke And I live to see you face And I hate to see you go But I know no other way And straight on out the door And I can't help myself I'm Ryan Beale. And I'm Kevin Lee. The ShitOverDid.com comedians are coming to your campus. It's like the website, but in real life. Come see the Sunday Service, who was recently named Canada's best improv group. Guess what? The show is hosted by Graham Clark of Stop Podcasting Yourself, awarded Canada's best podcast. The comedy show will be followed by presentations by Brigitte Depop, the Senate Rogue Page, and founder of ShitOverDid.com, Sean Devlin. It'll be coming to UBC on March 18th at 6.30 p.m. Entry by donation at the North Theater. The event is sponsored by CITR 101.9 FM. And Sean Devlin, founder of shitharborddid.com, will personally be doing a push-up for a dollar. If you pay him a hundred dollars, he'll do a hundred push-ups at every event. So come. Learn. In my pants. Laugh. In my pants. With the vast amount of changes happening in the world, it's almost impossible to get a clear picture of what's really going on. We are trapped within the logic of capitalism, leaving us unable to imagine what comes next. The Extra Environmentalist brings the perspectives of people who can see the whole picture and are ready for whatever comes our way. Tune in to The Extra Environmentalist every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. This is the viewpoint that makes all places the same to you. And this is The City here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, CJSF.ca, and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst, and for the first part of the hour, you are hearing from Charlie Demers, and he is author, comedian, and uh, activist in Vancouver. Uh, He is author of Vancouver Special, uh, among other works. And uh, you'll, you may be familiar with him uh, from CBC Radio 1, uh, The Debaters. And uh, that was a podcast um, from the SFU History Department's um, 125th or, or celebration of uh, the city's 125th birthday. They did a series um, about Vancouver, and that particular one uh, was coming from a night um, called Vancouver, Best Place on Earth, and uh, featuring uh, Charlie Demers and Matt Hearn, also local author, uh, activist, and uh, public intellectual. So we're going to hear the second part of that uh, probably uh, in coming weeks, um, not next week, um, but probably uh, later in either March or um, probably more likely in April. So stay tuned for that. That was the first half of that, and I want to also thank SFU's uh, History Department for they originally podcasted uh, that series, um, which they were sponsoring and and hosted um, and have graciously allowed uh, for the city to broadcast it. So again, a big thank you to them. 
We're going to go uh, into some more music for the remainder of the hour. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. I also want to thank you if you donated to CITR's annual fund drive, celebrating 75 years on our uh, 75 years of independent media and independent radio. Thank you so much for supporting the station. Um, if you did not make a donation and you'd still like to, you certainly can. You can just go to citr.ca and make a donation online. Um, but thank you to those who supported uh, the city, supported another year of independent programming, uh, critical programming, and uh, certainly uh, we need that programming uh, more than ever. So again, thank you, and uh, thank you for listening as well. We're going to wrap up the hour with some more tunes. Uh, after Charlie's uh, talk, uh, hopefully you enjoyed that. You heard from Apollo Ghosts uh, from their album Landmarks, uh, Grizzly Bear off their uh, latest release, Shields. Um, and now you're going to hear a track from Carolyn Mark off her uh, most recent release, uh, The Queen of Vancouver Island. So stay tuned. This is The City here on CATR. If you're listening live here on CATR 101.9 FM, you're going to hear Flex Your Head coming up next at 6 p.m. And then if you're also listening syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM Burnaby uh, at 11 a.m., uh, you're going to hear Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, with more critical urban discussions. Uh, Here's some more tunes. Um, But again, thank you so much uh, for supporting CITR and uh, listening uh, to the city. Uh, You can get in touch um, by tweeting uh, the city with uh, the handle the city underscore FM. Uh, You can drop me an email at andrew at the city org. Also, you can uh, check the program out on Facebook by searching the city critical urban discussions and uh, love to hear from you, love to hear your thoughts, uh, suggestions, um, anything like that. Um, always welcome. So thanks again, and here's Carolyn Mark on The City. up to the chorus Cause everybody wants to sing along
I've been waiting so long For the movie to start And the song to end Yeah, start the movie Killing at you, killing at you, killing at you, late. 